The new Ontario Liberals, as leader Stephen Del Duca now referring to his party as, making many promises over the last few days, including, yes, they are promising to end the clustering of cannabis stores. And for more on this, here is our cannabis expert, Mitchell Osak, CEO of Quanta Consulting, who joins us once again. Mitchell, good afternoon. Good day, Jeff. All right, you and I have talked in the past, of course, about uh, whether or not there's too many pot shops, but uh, what about this uh, clustering of cannabis uh, stores? What more can you tell us about this? Do we have too many concentrated on certain blocks or in certain areas? Well, I, I don't know how we as a society define too many. If you're a heavy cannabis user, often there's not enough of them, um, particularly when they're very different. But I won't lie and say it isn't a problem in certain neighborhoods, particularly in Toronto, Queen Street West, uh, even my neighborhood on Avenue Road between Eglinton and Wilson. So it is somewhat problematic for the communities in those areas. All right. And how so? How does this uh, become a problem or why, why would it be a problem? Well, like, here's the thing. I, I'm a big proponent of, of cannabis. So to me, even though I live, I live in a neighborhood with about six or seven stores within a couple of kilometers, these stores are not a problem. They don't attract a rowdy crowd. They tend to be good corporate citizens. I have no issue with them whatsoever. However, if, um, if I had a stigma against cannabis, like still probably 25% of Canadians do, and if I didn't like some of the traffic that congregates around some of these stores at a certain time, or if I prefer that there were other retail shops, yeah, I might have a problem with it. I think at the core, a lot of it comes down to the not-in-my-backyard syndrome. All right, and is this also one of the reasons why we've seen some of these pot shops fail? And again, you and I have talked about this uh, in the past, but could this be a contributing factor that some of these have closed their doors just because there's so many concentrated in a certain area? And would cannabis users, would they be better served if uh, they were spread out a little more? Well, those are two questions, and I'll handle the first one. Without a doubt, when you have six or seven stores congregated within a couple of blocks, no matter how different those stores are, they're not going to make it. Just like if you had six Starbucks or six Tim Hortons in close proximity, they all won't make it. So you're absolutely right. It is contributing to some of the closures in certain parts of the city. And I'll point out in some of those parts of the city, the rents are very high. So not only do you have high concentration of stores, but you have high rental costs and that hurts from a cost perspective. Um, would consumers be better served if the stores were spread out? Um, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you why. And we've talked about this. There are many communities in the GTA, like Mississauga and Markham, where you're not allowed to have any stores. So essentially what happens is those uh, consumers in those municipalities have to drive somewhere to visit a physical cannabis retailer. And the truth is, is that they'll often drive into the next neighboring town where there are more stores. So this spillover effect does contribute to clustering. All right. So having said that, do you think we would be better served with kind of a franchise model? And I'm thinking of, and just off the top of my head, I'm going to pick a Tim Hortons. But to Tim Hortons, as I understand it, if you're a franchisee, not only do you buy uh, the name, the branding and the marketing, but you also buy a territory that, uh, you know, you can't have a, another franchisee or a competitor within so many kilometers of the franchise uh, you've purchased. Would that sort of model make more sense when it comes to a cannabis? cannabis distribution here in the province? That's an excellent question. Um, I think in an ideal world, it probably would. But it raises a lot of questions, one of which is 
you know, we have the system we have right now, and roughly in Ontario, I believe the latest numbers about 40 percent of the existing retail stores are franchised. Sixty percent are independents or very small chains. Now, how do you rev- how do you go back in time and and move to a franchise model and tell the remaining sixty percent of retailers you have to join? you know, a Tim Hortons type of franchise. Realistically, you're not going to do that, and there's not going to be any political will to do that. So uh, the Ford government, in their wisdom, and I'm not being sarcastic at all, opened up cannabis retail for everyone, franchisees as well as independents. And this is the retail market we got. And in many ways, we should celebrate the fact that many small business people have cannabis stores. The unfortunate byproduct is that you have this clustering. So the long and short of it is I don't necessarily know how to fix it once it evolved the way it is right now. All right. Joined by our cannabis expert, Mitchell Osak, CEO of Quanta Consulting. Uh, Mitchell, also wanted to touch on this news item with you this afternoon. In what is being called a first for Canada, those going to live events in the province of Alberta will be allowed to have a cannabis products actually couriered or delivered to them at the uh, festival. Just how big of a deal is this? I think it's massive, and I'm super excited for the citizens of Alberta that they're going to enjoy what is really a basic right, um, and that's finally going to happen three and a half years into cannabis legalization. There's been a lot of um, uh, industry outcry about the inability to be able to consume cannabis products responsibly and safely in public places. And this is the first time that we're allowed to do that. Now, there are a lot of rules about where you can consume it and how you can consume it. Smoking pot is not allowed, but it's just a recognition that cannabis is fairly benign as compared to, say, alcohol, which is allowed, and that people can consume it uh, responsibly. And And in an era of COVID, where you don't want people congregating inside, this gives them a pretty good option to consume safely. So... You know, we're hoping that this spreads to Ontario and other parts of Canada. It would be a welcome addition, and it would be a boom, not only to the festival organizers, but also for tourism as well. All right, and this is the future, do you think, of uh, cannabis, just making it uh, more accessible? It's kind of like, I guess, phoning up, or uh, not phoning up, but uh, using on your uh, app with your phone, uh, Uber Eats. Uh, In this case, ordering uh, cannabis uh, products such as edibles or uh, beverages. And as I understand it, if you were at a concert or festival, uh, it would only be delivered in certain designated areas. Yes, and it will only be, be delivered from an authorized retailer. So this will be a boon to cannabis retailers. And we talked about many of them are having a tough time. So this will absolutely help. But also, I think it's a recognition that, you know, uh, legalizing cannabis wasn't, you know, the most disruptive event that some people thought it was. This is a recognition that the, the government doesn't have to be involved in everything and that, you know, Canadians can consume these products safely and responsibly. I foresee a situation in a few years where you'll be able to have cannabis lounges like we have cannabis bars, and you'll be able to get the products and consume the products in a variety of different ways. You mentioned Uber. You can now order cannabis via Uber to a point where cannabis becomes just like every other consumer product, properly regulated without a doubt and, you know, subject to age and majority usage and so on, but, you know, treated like everything else and the users not treated like pariahs.
All right, yeah, and I was about to ask you just finally here. I got about thirty seconds. Is this proof that our uh, social norms or mores uh, that they are uh, changing when it comes to cannabis? Absolutely, it's it's grudging and slow change, but it is changing. It's not a big deal anymore. Uh, you know, I, I watch uh, crowds downtown, and you can smell and see smokers, and literally nobody bats an eye anymore, uh, bats an eyelash. So, uh, you know, the more mainstream we have cannabis, the better, and the more it hits the mainstream in our communities, um, the more people will realize, you know what, this is not a harmful substance in aggregate, and it's certainly much more benign than, say, alcohol. All right. Mitchell, appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much for this on this Tuesday. We will talk again. Thank you. There's Mitchell Osak, CEO of Quanta Consulting, our cannabis expert. And that does it for our time here on this Tuesday. Thanks, as always, for yours. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Have a great rest of the afternoon, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.